Welcome, everybody. It's a very special edition of The Richard Krause Show this week. We devote the entire hour to the latest installment from that galaxy far, far away. Solo, a Star Wars story. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together crew. I'm a driver. And I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? You got a line on a ship? Yeah, I know a guy. He's the best smuggler around. I heard a story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true. Yes. <laughs> you might want to buckle up, baby. Here I come! Well, let me give you some advice. We assume everyone will betray you, and you will never be disappointed. I got a really good feeling about this. This is the 10th live-action Star Wars movie and the 4th since Disney bought Lucasfilm in 2012. Solo, a Star Wars story, isn't part of the Skywalker saga uh, that has so far spanned eight episodes and featured the rise and fall of the Empire and the endless struggle between the Jedi and the Sith. Solo is another standalone adventure, like 2016's Rogue One, which told the story of the heroic rebels that stole the Death Star plans. Solo is an origin story that focuses on events we've heard about, but before now have never been fully explained. On Solo, I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. Chewie here tells me you're looking for passage to the Alderaan system. Yes, indeed. If it's a fast ship. Fast ship? You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? Should I have? It's a ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. I've outrun Imperial starships, not the local bulk cruisers, mind you. I'm talking about the big Karelian ships now. She's fast enough for you, old man. It's been 40 years of speculations, and now fans will finally find out what the Kessel run is and why accomplishing it in less than 12 parsecs was such a monumental feat. The story also expands on characters we know and love and how they met. How you doing, you old pirate? So good to see you. <laughs> well, he seems very friendly. Yes, very friendly. What are you doing here? Ah, repairs. I thought you could help me out. What have you done to my ship? Your ship? Hey, remember, you lost her to me fair and square. And how you doing, Chewbacca? Mm. You still hanging around with this loser? Mm. Playing a young Han Solo is Alden Ehrenreich, who talked about the film and taking on the iconic role. It's crazy, you know, like other roles that I've gotten, you call people, they go, wow, that's amazing. With this one, it's so enormous that you call people and they're like, just silent. They're just sort of shocked and stunned. So I think you're meeting him at a time where he's younger and he's more of an idealist. He still has kind of a romantic vision or a feeling that he's gonna get out of this. He grew up in pretty rough circumstances. So getting out of that and making a life for himself. You sort of like early on absorb all the original movies and look at everything and try to take that in and get the spirit of it and just like feel it in your bones a little bit. It has a lot of jokes, a lot of humor. You spend a lot more time dealing with the feelings and the kind of inner life of the characters and kind of all the characters in a certain way in this one. 
Donald Glover plays the young Lando Calrissian. Now, he was on Ellen with Alden Ehrenreich talking about meeting the two actors who originated those iconic roles, Harrison Ford and Billy D. Williams. So you met Harrison? You... Yeah, I had lunch with Harrison. And how was that? It was awesome. So yeah. everyone kind of prepped me and was like, he can be grouchy and stuff, and then he was great. He, was he really, is great. Yeah, <laughs> he was really supportive, really nice. We talked about a lot of stuff, and, and he was very kind of, like, gave us our, his blessing. Oh, yeah. good. And then you met Billy D. Williams? Yes, I did. And how was that? It was really great, because he, he was exactly what he should have been for me. Like, I came in with a lot of, like, ideas of what Lando... I was, I was just, like, you know, like, excited. And I was like, you know, I grew up on Lando, and that was, like, my first toy. And, like, maybe he's, like, maybe he's from this other planet where he's, like, maybe he's highbrow and, like, his family's rich, but he's, like, an, an outcast because he likes to gamble. And maybe he's from this. I had all these ideas. And he literally just, like, let me ramble on for a while. And then I was like, so what do you think? And he... <laughs> I don't even think he was looking at me when he said it. He was like, I don't know, just be charming. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's enough. And I was like, all right. <laughs> I threw all the paper out. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, so, no, but that's exactly what I needed yeah. to hear. He was like, yeah, you don't overthink it. Just be cool. Like all Star Wars movies, there's a great deal of secrecy surrounding Solo, a Star Wars story. Now, fear not, there'll be no spoilers here. We can tell you that Woody Harrelson plays young Han's mentor, Tobias Beckett, in the film. He joked with Jimmy Kimmel about it. And I assume that the movie studio does not want you to reveal the whole plot of the movie. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so do they have special talks with you? Do you feel that, like, the sit-down with you is more intensive than it would be with, say, one of the other actors? Well, they know that I'm a little loose sometimes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. You know, fast and loose. Yeah. Uh, do you uh, worry about that? Are you worried about revealing anything? Well, I guess I have to yeah. worry a little Do you, bit. Did you have to sign a document saying that they will take your home from you? I, di I did sign, but I just kind of scribbled it. You so, did, I see. <laughs> you know, you could, in a court of law, you could argue it's not my signature. Somebody else got in yeah, there, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm sitting with Greg Mason. He is the VP of marketing for Lucasfilm for Canada, which means you have a very busy week. Right now, I guess it's it's more than a busy week. It's a busy six months leading up to the release of the new Han Solo Star Wars film. It's certainly been a very busy time, very exciting time. Really kind of kicked off the campaign for us from May the 4th was a, obviously a, a yeah. very apropos time to kick things off. Now, uh, maybe you can't answer this, but why wouldn't they release the film on May the 4th, which is the International Day of Star Wars Celebration? Well, it's it's we've had a lot of fans say, "Oh, you should just really release it May the fourth. Yeah. And I think you've got to look at the the bigger Disney picture. And so you've got Avengers in there as well, and it's all about negotiating screens and space. Yeah. And you've got competition, and you've got you know other films that are in there. And it's tricky. And I. I think in the end it worked out quite well, although the film wasn't released on May the 4th. And, you know, the force itself does not really play much of a role in this, right? That's right, it's, right. You know, so it's, it, you know, we, it, but it was a wonderful kickoff. And I think that that was uh, sort of a better beat for us to kind of let folks know, hey, this is the time. And, and the fans get so behind May the 4th yeah. that, you know, you want that to be their day, not the film's day. I choose to celebrate... Uh, Revenge of the Fifth the next day. That's what I do. <laughs> I love it. So when you're prepping for a, a big film like this, uh, there are expectations through the roof. So obviously you have to be very secretive about this. Tell me about how the decisions are, are made as to what 
you will release beforehand. So there's little teaser clips out there. Uh, Star Wars fans uh, are very, uh, very, uh, they will look at these things and go, oh, oh, look, the, the lights on the thing are blue. And so that means, you know, they have a very specific idea and they want to have ideas about what's coming. How do they make decisions about what gets released to the public before the film comes out so it's not spoiled for anybody? Well, the word we use to describe the fans is ravenous. Mm -hmm. And they're ravenous and they're often very accurate. They know the Star Wars lore incredibly yeah. well. So with that, from a marketing perspective comes, you know, great responsibility. You've yeah. got to be very careful. We, we really work incredibly hard not to spoil the film. And yeah. I think, you know, for all the Star Wars films that have been out since Force Awakens, one thing I think that, you know, whether, you know, you love them or, you know, which ones you liked or you didn't, but the one thing that we have done that I'm very proud of is we don't spoil the films. We really mm -hmm. don't give it all away in the trailer. Um, you know, we give you little tastes, you know, just sort of enough. And sometimes the taste can be a little bit misleading. If you go back yeah. and look at some of those campaigns, we have done some purposeful misled so that the fans are genuinely surprised and genuinely enjoying that you know roller coaster yeah. popcorn movie experience which you know if, for those of us who grew up with Star Wars that's what we want to feel and that's what we want our fans to see when they see it on the big screen and you've got a, a whole new cast in this film you're introducing not new characters but new actors in uh, some roles that we know Aldrin Ehrenreich is is Han Solo is there a challenge involved in that? I mean, people, I don't think, know exactly who he is. Maybe if you saw Hail Caesar, the Coen Brothers film, or uh, the last Warren Beatty film, he was in that. But he's been in smaller, interesting films. Now this is the biggest movie by about 5,000 times that he's ever been in. How do you introduce him to an audience when he's playing a character that everybody already knows? Well, the short answer is very carefully. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the, the longer answer is that... Um, I think we all knew nobody can be Harrison Ford. Yeah. You, you just can't. So that we were not looking for a Harrison Ford impersonator. You know, we were looking for someone who could grow into that role. It, that would have failed miserably. I, I a Harrison think, Ford impersonator. And I think no matter what, uh, whoever we put in, uh, you know, it's they're, they're big boots to fill. Mm -hmm. And, you know, can he fill them? And I, I would argue, you know, once the fans see it, they will agree or, or disagree. But I will argue that by the end of the film... You kind of look and go, ah, oh, that's how he gets there. Right. Because, you know, early in the film, he's not hes not Han. He's figuring out who yeah. Han is. You know, when we see him back in 1977, he's this scoundrel who, yeah, you yeah. know, he's, he's the baddie we love. And it, it takes a bit to get there. And clearly there's molding that has to happen. And that's what you're going to see in Solo, which makes it really special. It's sort of the life experience that got him to where he is in A New Hope. It's exactly that. Yeah. Um, and all the other characters, Chewie. Well, yeah. Chewie. Yeah. How can you not love Chewie? Yeah. Um, as I know you had a little visit with Chewie the other day. We, we've, had, we've had Chewie in uh, a few so Canadian much. markets. Uh, yeah. so, so do I. I mean, uh, we've seen all the cosplayers, but we have a Chewie here that is actual life-size and uh, is pretty incredible. One of the rare times I've had to look up to anyone in a photograph that I've been, that I've been in. <laughs> I'm Richard Krauss, and you're listening to a very special edition of the show. We're talking all about Solo, a Star Wars story. Coming up a little bit later, we're going to talk to one of the magicians who makes the Millennium Falcon fly. Coming up, though, more of my conversation with Greg Mason, the Vice President of Marketing for Lucasfilms of Canada. 
Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. This is a very special edition of the show. We're having a look at Solo, a Star Wars story. In the last segment, you heard part of my conversation with Greg Mason. He's the vice president for marketing of Lucasfilms of Canada. In this segment, we talk more about how Solo, a Star Wars story, got to the big screen. Uh, What do you hope or how do you hope people see this? I mean, I always am a big advocate for going into movies and knowing nothing about them. You know, you know who's in it. You might have a rough idea of what it's about. But I, I don't like all the conjecture that happens beforehand because, frankly, I think it kind of spoils it a little bit. I like going in at zero and and just enjoying the film. Is that, for you, the best way to see this? Because you, here's the thing. You've seen this. I've seen this, and but I agree with you 100%. And I think more people are like you and I yeah. in, with, in today's modern world with social media and how fast the digital technology and everything can get out. Things can be spoiled very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And if that's the case, I would say stay away from social media on yeah, opening yeah. weekend and really try and get out there and, and enjoy that. And you know, the films and what Kathy Kennedy does so well and the crews she hires is she just does make it that wonderful movie-going experience Experience that you have to see on the big screen. And, uh, you know, Ron Howard is no exception with this mm-hmm. film. Uh, I'm speaking with Greg Mason, VP of Marketing uh, for Lucasfilm for Canada. It's interesting because we do know that you mentioned Ron Howard. He was brought in late to the process. And even that, you know, when I was growing up and going to the movies, you didn't really hear all the ins and outs of what was going on. So you weren't influenced by any of that. And so when you hear, oh, they've replaced the director and, you know, they've reshot, you hear anything from 80% to 20% to whatever. Like, But we don't really know. Who knows? But I do think that it colors people's idea maybe of what they're about to see. And I think that's a shame. Well, it does for some folks. I think... Uh, the other thing is it's just there's so many fans, so many eyeballs on this thing that if yeah. as soon as there's this nugget of information, they yeah. feel that there's something there to hold on to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think change happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. And when you see the film, I think you'll be thrilled. I mean, it's Ron Howard. He's been yeah. working with George Lucas back in 19, what was it, 73? Yeah, yeah, with yeah, yeah. American Graffiti. So who knows, you know, George better and, and you know, what he's trying to do. And, you know, George wanted to make this film was the first offshoot that he he wanted to make. So I, I really would never bet against Ron Howard. And uh, I think he's delivered a wonderful film. It's interesting that Disney, who you're also the vice president of marketing for Disney as well, they're having a run that I don't know that any other studio has ever had. I mean, you have this year alone two of the highest grossing films in history, and it's only May, and we're not sure what what uh, the new Star Wars film is going to do. And that's probably going to be on the list there somewhere as well. Uh, and I think that when you guys put something out into the marketplace, the one thing that I always admire about you is you never take it for granted that it's going to be a hit. Oh, look, we got a new Avengers. We don't have to do anything. It's it's not like that. And it's not like that with the new Star Wars film either. Well, thank you for the compliment. And I, I will say that so many people will say, oh, what do you have to do? You're that marketing? Be, it's easy, right? It's <laughs> yeah, easy. That's the easiest job yeah. in the world. But, you know, with that comes, you know, huge... Uh, you know, expectations in terms of box office and how does Canada do yeah. versus other markets and getting people out. And, I, you know, there's also, there's a lot of preconceived notions. Oh, I've seen the Avengers films. This is just right. like another Avengers film. Oh, I've seen the Star Wars film, so why do I need to see Solo? And it does need to feel fresh. It does need to feel special. 
And where I feel very lucky as a marketer is that the studio is backing us up. And what I mean right. by that is they're making great films. Right. You know, very fortunate that all of our divisions are hitting it out of the park right now. And what Iger has done, and we've talked about this before, is he is he leaves well enough alone. Mm -hmm. He leaves the Marvel people alone to do what they do best. And same with the Lucasfilm folks. And those guys are making fantastic content. And it's a privilege to to market it. And uh, we, we keep hope to, to have this great run that we're on. Do you think that these standalone films, we've seen Rogue One and now the Han Solo film, there could be in future uh, like a Boba Fett film, whatever. There's 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 going to be one every other year for the foreseeable future. Do you see a time when maybe we have, you know, a, a Star Wars film uh, that's a comedy or like an all-out comedy or uh, a Western? I mean, they're kind of Westerns in space anyway, uh, a little bit. Uh, Rogue One was a war film. I mean, I thought that was a, a pretty straight-up war film. Um, do, you, do you see a time when they, they – or maybe there's a mystery, a murder mystery one. Do you see a time that they, they, they do that kind of thing? I think uh, the one tip I'll give you is there's a bit of a nod to a Western in Solo. Just a little bit. Right. I, I wouldn't call it a Western, but I would say there's a bit of a nod to a Western. Right. And I think uh, – I think you will see variety in the storytelling. You did with Rogue One. You're absolutely yep. right. And I think, you know, Marvel's also done an excellent job at that. You look at Thor Ragnarok. He's got a completely different tone. Uh, uh, Thor Ragnarok was, uh, for my money, uh, a comedy film with some action, not an action film with some comedy. 100% agree. A, a much, there's a huge differentiation there. And I think that that's what makes the film special is that mm -hmm. you are seeing something different. You're seeing a different interpretation. Um, we don't need the same superhero-looking film every time. Yeah. Um, and really, you know, if you ever listen to Kevin Feige speak, you know, he, he'll talk about how, well, this film is a, a heist film, you right. know, and this film is a comedy film. And, you know, this, these are the core elements. And then you build the superhero around it. And, you know, Lucasfilm, I think, is doing something very, very similar. Rogue One is an excellent example mm -hmm. of that. And I think fans will be genuinely surprised with Solo. It, you know, it, it fits the galaxy, no question, but it feels different and it should feel different. And we want new and we want to expand this world and this galaxy that we love so much. And the Avengers films uh, continually blow my mind because going into Infinity War, I thought, oh, there's going to be too many characters and I don't know if I know who, what everybody, what the power everybody has and it's going to be confusing. And yet they're not. And I, I'm not sure exactly, I mean, it's a testament to the filmmaking. The Russo brothers are doing a great job. But the idea of taking that many characters and putting them in one film after they've all had standalone things and, and that, it, it kind of... I, I can't think of anyone else that has tried universe building on this kind of scale. And to have the movies going, I mean, Black Panther, when did Black Panther come out? This year, in, this in year, February. In February, right? So February, March, April, and then April, you've got Infinity War. I mean, uh, it, it it really is quite amazing, the, the rate that they're putting these things out and the, the appetite that audiences have for them. It's really like something we've never seen before. I, yeah. I mean, with uh, Infinity War, I couldn't wait to see what the poster was going to look yeah, like. Yeah. Because, and it, you've all seen it now, but just the amount of characters and to bring it all together is something that, that hasn't been done before. And and where it's going next is even more exciting. You kind of feel like, oh, is this is this all wrapping up? Is this, are we kind of done with this chapter? And I love where they're going. It's just so exciting. I mean, wait till you see what they're doing with Captain Marvel. Really special. Wow. Wow. Well, Craig, thanks so much. 
been a and, pleasure. Uh, and we'll look forward to seeing uh, the new Han Solo film. Always great spending time with you, Richard. Thanks. That was Greg Mason, Vice President of Marketing for Lucas Films of Canada. He's one of the guys that got Solo, a Star Wars story, to the screen. Later in the hour, you'll hear my exclusive interview with Paul Bettany, who plays crime boss Dryden Voss in Solo, and also plays Vision in Avengers Infinity War. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause, and this is a very special edition of the show where we have a look at Solo, a Star Wars story. Now, most people know Ron Howard as Opie from The Andy Griffith Show. A lot of people know him as the narrator of Arrested Development. A few more know him as the director of Solo, a Star Wars story. Here, he takes Arrested Development and Star Wars, bangs them together, and gives you a, a hint of what the movie's about. Meet Darth Vader. He's upset because his daughter, Princess Leia, stole his secret plans. I want to know what happened to the plans. I don't know what you're talking about. She actually did. Fortunately, Leia's droids landed in the backyard of Luke Skywalker, who found her secret message. Who is she? She's beautiful. She's his sister. Curious for answers about the message and the girl, Luke finds Obi-Wan in the desert. Don't seem to remember ever owning a droid. From a certain point of view, Obi-Wan was lying. R2, 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 R2. Back home, Obi-Wan tells Luke about a religious cult he and Luke's father belong to. How did my father die? Well... He was a good friend. Well... Hoping to meet his mystery girl, Luke followed Obi-Wan to find a ride across the galaxy. Not with him, but with this guy. You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon? It's a ship that made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs. Hey, that would make an interesting movie. Go see Solo, a Star Wars story, only in theaters May 25th. You know Paul Bettany, the actor from movies like A Knight's Tale, A Beautiful Mind, Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. More recently, you can see him in the Avengers Infinity War as Vision. Uh, I got a chance to sit down and talk to him about his role as Dryden Voss, the boogeyman, the intergalactic boogeyman from the new film Solo, A Star Wars Story. Congratulations on the film. Thank you very much. Uh, what's it like to you just acknowledge the poster. If you could talk to the 14-year-old you and say, one day I'm going to be on a Star Wars poster, what would, what, how does that make you feel? Wow, it would have been everything. I mean, I was six when I saw these movies. Yeah. Um, or maybe seven, I can't quite figure it out. Because I think they maybe came out either in 78 in... England, or right. maybe late 77, it's, so I, I, may, may, I can't work out whether I was seven, I was six or seven, but anyway, it, it, it just blew my mind, yeah. I went to see it twice in the first week, and you know, continued to go to see it, and they, 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 they captured, it captured my imagination as a kid in a way that just, it took me out of miserable grey London yeah. in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> and was it the characters? Or the yeah, action? So the, or? The, the, the characters in the world and, and the, the idea that some kid could change his destiny somehow, uh, which was my favourite thing about the first um, 
film. I mean, that changes in subsequent films. But really, I just remember thinking, God, you could come from nowhere. You could be in in the middle of nowhere, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was amazing. It was amazing. I love the. What age are you? Uh, I'm 54, so I was about 14 when okay, this came okay. out, and I mean, it was mind blowing. And but I had to wait. I grew up in a very small town at the end of the country. I had to wait a while to see it. Maybe like you, you know, it was right, probably right, right. late '77, maybe early '78 uh, when I saw it. And I and mean, everything changed. And everything changed. Everything really changed. Yeah, I well, really felt like. Whoa. I, well, see, I was thinking. Okay, so you know, your parents. Probably my parents listened to Bing Crosby. My brother listened to uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. When I heard Elvis Costello for the first time, I found my music. When I saw right. this movie for the first time, I felt like I'd found the movie that was made for me. Right, right. You know? I would have pegged you for an Elvis fan. Yeah. As well. I, <laughs> I wrote a book about him. I'll send it oh, over did to you. you. Yeah. I would love to read that. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'm make a sure huge you get fan. one. Um, so I read a story, the, the inspirational nature of, of what you just said. I read a story where you had had a, a meeting with an agent who said, uh, I don't know if there's going to be much work for you coming up. And then you got a phone call from Joss Whedon that changed everything. And here you sit as a star of two of the biggest movies that are going to come out this year. It must feel wild to you. Well, that's a, a true story. And I lie about stories, but that one happens to be true, which is that um, uh, that it was a producer and I wanted a movie that he had. I wanted to be in it. And he said, you're not going to be in it. And in fact, I think your career's over. It's done. You're done. You're done. And I was... Um, I s- stood up to him. I was terribly butch. And then I went out and my legs went... And I sat on the pavement on Sunset Boulevard. And my phone went... And I looked at the phone, and I didn't recognize the number, and I answered it, and I said, hello. I said, it's Joss Whedon. Do you want to be the Vision in the Avengers? And I went, yeah, I really, I really, really do. So that's true. But the other thing that is also true is that I've worked with Ron Mm -hmm. all my career. I mean, really, from being, like, when I first was coming up, and he's always put his hand out and helped me up whenever I needed it. Yeah. And um, uh, and this time, <laughs> he'll tell a different story. <laughs> the story that he will tell is, I was looking for a guy, and I just, you know, he was just the... And the real story is that I texted him, and I said, Hey, uh, Ron, I hear you've taken over... Um, have you ever spent long winter evenings like I have wondering why you're not in the Star Wars franchise? <laughs> and then uh, two weeks later, I was on a set of a, of a star cruiser in, in London, and I was walking down these stairs, and an R2 unit went by with champagne flutes on its head. <laughs> and i got to tell you that when I first became the first TV set that I was ever on, it wasn't a movie set, it was a TV Thing for a thing called Wycliffe, and there was a helicopter that went over with a camera, and I, I, I and there was a, a technocrane, and I just could, I couldn't believe it. I was like a kid on Christmas Day, yeah, yeah. and I, I said, "Please, please remember this feeling. You're gonna, you'll never feel it again. You'll never f- have that experience of of being that unjaded ever again." And I did, I got it again when I was on. When I started this movie. Interesting how, too, it's full circle, right? So you saw it when you were six or seven in London, yeah. and then cut to 
last year in London. 40 years later. Yeah, being on... I mean, 30 years later. <laughs> yeah, that's right. For that's anybody right. who's cast I told you how old I was. <laughs> no. But that, that must have... did it, It's got to send a chill up your spine. Oh, it was, yeah, it yeah. really did. And I kept... You know, everybody else had been on the job for eight months already or whatever yeah. it was, and I kept nudging Ron, and we were like kids. I was like, we're making Star Wars. It was... It was the bliss. Well, congratulations on it. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Paul Bettany. You can see him in two films on the big screen this summer. He's in Avengers Infinity War as Vision, and of course, he's in Solo, a Star Wars story, selling lots and lots of action figures, playing Dryden Voss, the intergalactic bad man. Coming up in the next segment, we talk to Greg Cagle from ILM in Vancouver. He's one of the people that helps make the magic on these big action scenes. First, though, I want to play a little bit of Ron Howard talking to Stephen Colbert about creating those big action scenes. It was a big action scene, you know, and it's a, it's a beautiful set, and it's everybody there, and it's droids, and it's aliens, and there's some Wookiees running around, and I organized this very complicated shot. Lando flips the gun, the blaster to Han, and it swings around, and the camera move is perfect, and, and it all went beautifully. I felt really good about it, but here's this amazing thing that happened. When you get a fist bump and a full body hug from Chewbacca, (laughs) it's an experience I wish every movie maker could have. Who wouldn't love a Wookiee hug? That was Ron Howard talking with Stephen Colbert about the making of Solo, a Star Wars story. I'm Richard Krause. When we come back, we continue our look at the blockbuster film. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. We're doing a very special edition of the show this week. We're having a very special look at Solo, a Star Wars story. Here's Amelia Clark. You know her from Game of Thrones. Uh, she plays Kira in the film, Han Solo's love interest. Here she is with Jimmy Fallon doing a terrible Wookiee impression. In the script, there's Chewie dialogue. I mean, you don't, uh, when you see the movie, it's just Wookiee sounds. It's just Wookiee sounds. Like, which is like... Uh, I can't do it. I, I, well, I, I'm really bad, too. If I give you a few <laughs> lines, could you give me, like, a Wookiee line of what that line would be? Because yeah. you're supposed to be ready. All right, say, ready mm-hmm. to jump to hyperspace. Oh! <laughs> oh, my God! It's like been, that's worse than I thought it was in my head. I was like, it's getting too bad. Stand up. Maybe, no, stand up. Maybe it's because okay. you're sitting okay, down. Okay, I'm All right, here be, we go. This is... Now, close chewy. your eyes and, and picture we're in the new Star Wars... <laughs> All right, uh, and you're supposed to say, watch out, Star, Star Destroyer right ahead. Just sit down. Just sit down. Just sit down. No, no, no. That's like as true as I can do. That is fantastic. I thought mine was bad, but that is really up there. Oh, my God. I, too, do a terrible Wookiee cry. If you want to hear it, find Roar for Solo. That's a video on YouTube. And live with my shame that after 40 years of watching Wookiees on screen, I can't do a better job than that. Now here's a bit of my conversation with Greg Cagle. He's a visual effects supervisor at ILM Vancouver. He's worked on films like Man of Steel, Avengers Age of Ultron, The Revenant, Only the Brave, and of course, Solo, a Star Wars story. I started by asking him, how do you do choreography for these big computer-generated action scenes? Um, Well, certainly we start with the precedent. You know, there's always a a sort of 
a basis point for, for what story you're trying to tell or what you're trying to create. And I think, you know, one part of it is there's a lot of different uh, forms of, of, of filmmaking. So, for example, you're talking about fight scenes, and, you know, that's choreography between, two you know, two live people um, often, even if it's digitally taken over or digitally enhanced or, or replaced digitally. There, there's always a, a source between, you know, a source in those actors that are performing. Um, and then there's things like, you know, the Millennium Falcon, you know, TIE fighter chase that you can see in the trailers. You might want to buckle up, baby. I got a really good feeling about this. Since when do you know how to fly? 190 years old? You look great. Push it! It's kind of a, a choreography in itself, and... That always starts with, you know, uh, pre-production of a plan, basically storyboarding, um, and ultimately a, a pre-visualization in the computer of what you're actually going to see, um, all the way through to the final product, which is a really uh, beautiful and expensive image um, that flips by you really, really fast. How long does something like making the Millennium Falcon fly take? It depends on the, the nature of the, the shot and what's in it. But um, definitely some, some, even some shots that go by in, in a matter of seconds are months and months of really, really hard work by a lot of talented artists. Um, and, uh, I mean, as a whole, you know, I, I spent around nine months on um, Solo, which is kind of uh, maybe on the shorter end for, for a supervisor. We kind of came in about midway through um, principal photography um, where – you know, the, the folks that, that I work with, um, my peers maybe came in at, at pre-production level where the no, no film had been committed yet. Nobody had shot anything. It was all planning and concept and, you know, trying to flesh out what, what story was actually going to be told. What's the biggest innovation in Solo, a Star Wars story? I think in, in Solo's case, it's really about the integration of live action and CG in that, you know, we've been playing this game for a while between you know, uh, computer-generated imagery versus just shooting it for real. And, you know, it's really pretty pretty impossible to, um, you know, to shoot a TIE fighter chase real. It, it doesn't exist. It has to be augmented and created in, in a computer at some point. But the, the balance between those two ingredients, a real, you know, tangible thing that you create in the real world, combined with computer graphics is, is kind of the where things are at, which we're trying to harness both tools to tell the best story. And I think in Solo, you know, I feel really proud that we've done a – I feel like a really good job at trying to marry those two in that, you know, amazing, amazing principal photography uh, shot by really talented cinematographers and cameramen and really awesome detailed models like speeders and, re, you know, real Millennium Falcon cockpits and – things that really ground things in the real world, and then a, uh, an integration of CG on top of that. So, for example, in the Millennium Falcon cockpit, there's actually a star field, and the action that they're flying through is, is really there projected on set with these giant LED screens. Um, so when they go into hyperspace, they're, you know, really seeing hyperspace, and you get all of that reflected in, in all the metallic surfaces and people's eyes, and it kind of really makes you believe that it's happening because it, it kind of is. So I feel like that's kind of the, the, 
the biggest. It's not necessarily an innovation, but more of a, a perfection on techniques that we've been, you know, uh, honing for, for the last several years now. I'm Richard Krauss, and we're having a very special look at Solo, a Star Wars movie. I'm speaking with Greg Cagle. He's one of the visual effects supervisors at ILM Vancouver. I always think that if people are aware of the special effects in a movie, then the special effects aren't really working. Absolutely. I mean, you don't want people to think of something as some effect that is, you know, some trick that you want them to be completely immersed in the story and believe that that world is real, you know, just as we did with the original Star Wars films, uh, where it wasn't a matter of like, you know, oh, that's something that's, that's happening. It was you, you believe there was a Star Destroyer flying over your head, and that's, that's the ultimate goal. When you're working on a project like this, is there more pressure involved because it's one of the biggest franchises in the world? I, I would say, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and it's sacred. You know, it's, uh, it's really, really important to get it right, and no one wants to be that guy that, that kind of uh, screwed it up. So, um, yeah, I think there is, but it also comes with a, a really sort of inspiring um, sense of fun also. And so it, it, in the end, it kind of, you know, fuels, um, it, it fuels the, 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 you through those difficult periods or those challenging things um, just as much as it might be um, a little bit daunting at first. What scenes from Star Wars influenced you? When I was a kid, the, the original, you know, A New Hope is, is the movie that, made me kind of do what I want to do and, and figure out how it was done. And I think, you know, it's not even a, a visual effects scene. It's uh, really, it's the, you know, that scene of Luke standing, you know, on Tatooine looking out across the dual sunset. You know, that's just so iconic. And it's that thing that kind of gets you at the heart of the movie um, that tells you, you know, the story about it that really, really brings you to it. That, that for me is, is, was the inspirational. If I had to pick one, there's so many, um, but that kind of sticks out in my mind as, as one of the most iconic. How do you ground these movies in reality? You want to be grounded. You want to, you know, believe that it's real. And, um, and I mean, this solo in particular, you know, has some of the best, you know, live action practical elements. These, you know, like I said, speeders and even just sets. The, you know, some of the sets in the movie are, are really spectacular and they give, you know, even the actors, they give, uh, it gives them something to pivot around and to sort of sell the idea that they're in that world. And, you know, in the end, it makes our job a lot easier in the visual effects side because we can kind of springboard off of those details and that reality um, for the, you know, the ultimate illusion. That was my conversation with Greg Cagle. He's a visual effects supervisor at ILM in Vancouver. He's worked on everything from Tomorrowland, Avengers, Age of Ultron, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, and of course, Solo, A Star Wars Story. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together crew. I'm a driver. And I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? You've heard from the actors. You've heard from the director. You've heard from the special effects people. Now it's my turn to talk about Solo, a Star Wars story. This is an old-fashioned mix of action, adventure, and romance with loads of Star Wars mythology woven into the story. 
There's no force, no Jedi, just a straightforward story populated with likable and sometimes not so likable characters. Ron Howard, who took over after Phil Lord and Chris Miller were let go, keeps the action fluid. He injects plenty of humor, shaping the story after a slow start into a bit of a romp. Now, he's hampered by a story with very low stakes. We know that Han, Chewie, Lando go on to have greater adventures, so there doesn't seem to be much at risk. But it is fun to get a glimpse of the young versions of all the characters that we know. But Solo, a Star Wars story, doesn't feel quite as meaty as some of the other films in the series. Aaron Reich tackles the impossible job of filling in the gaps left by Harrison Ford. He's all swagger, a fearless, fast-on-his-feet, walking-talking attitude. He's solid, but doesn't bring the charisma that so effortlessly flowed from Ford. The supporting cast, however, delivers in spades. Glover just oozes charm, playing Calrissian as a swaggering pilot with a fashion sense and a what's-in-it-for-me bearing that makes him eminently watchable. And Chewie, my favorite character, is given a backstory and more to do than simply act as a sidekick. Given the chance to help his family, who have been torn apart by the Empire, the seven-foot, six-inch fuzzball goes his own way, disobeying Solo. He has his own mind and asserts himself in a way that he hasn't before. The actor, with his deft physical work, also provides some of the film's biggest laughs. Solo, a Star Wars story, has some nice moments, but relies on adrenaline when it should trust its characters. I'm Richard Krauss. Thanks for listening in to my special look at Solo, a Star Wars story. Thanks to Robert Turner on the board, and we'll see you next week. I got a really good feeling about this.